I don't know how long, how far I can get in this message tonight. The title of it, The Songs They Sing in Heaven. But it's, it, it takes two chapters. And I don't think you want to stay here till midnight. Amen, Deacon said by cure. <laughs> well, I'm not going to take that long, but I'd like for you to open your Bible, Revelation 4, and we'll look at this in sections, depending on our time. And I appreciate you more than I could ever say. You're the greatest people in all God's world. And I appreciate the fact that you like singing. Do you know, years ago, some of you may remember, we had hymn sings every fourth Sunday, maybe every fifth Sunday, in the association. And our church always was called the Singingless Church. They had a banner they gave out. Do any of you remember that back in the olden days? Some of you may lift your hand if you remember that. The, the re, some of you do. The reason the rest of you don't, you didn't go. You just don't like singing. On Sunday afternoon, we'd gather in the various churches around the association and sing, just sing, about an hour and a half. We sang at First Baptist and at Eastwood and at Calvary and, and all the churches and so on. And Glendale always got the banner for the singingest church. And I believe you still are. And we like to sing here. And the reason people, I've tried to analyze why people don't sing. I'd like to invite every one of you, one or two, but one or two, to sit on the platform on Sunday morning and just see what Brother Lloyd sees. When he says, let's sing. Sorry, sister. dare you to make me sing. <laughs> you're going to have a hard time in heaven. I hope you're going there. We're going to sing in heaven and we're going to have a good time up there. It's not going to be some boring thing. I don't know how often we'll get together. We're going to have so many people to see. But heaven is going to be wonderful. The fourth chapter makes a change in the study of the book of Revelation. You remember chapter 1 verse 19 when Jesus said to John, write the things which you've seen. That's chapter one, the vision of the glorified Christ. All the world had ever seen about Jesus was when he fed the 5,000, the 4,000, healed the people, raised them to life, and then the last scene, they saw him on a cross in shame. There was nothing about him to want us to desire him. His visage was marred more than any man's. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely hath borne our griefs and carried our transgressions. That's the last they saw of him. As far as we can tell from reading the Bible, the only people that saw the resurrected Christ were saved people. Those who had trusted him as Savior. He appeared to 500 one time. He appeared to James one time. He appeared to Peter, James, and John one time. He appeared to several over a period of 40 days. They were all saved people. Now Jesus says, John, I want you to write something that the rest of the world will, will be able to read. 
and those that come after you so that this will not be forgotten. You write what you saw in the vision of the glorified Christ. And if we go back and study chapter 1 again, you remember Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. I have the keys of life and death and hell. And then he said, write the things you've seen, the vision of the glorified Christ. Then he said, write the things which are. That's chapters 2 and 3, the vision of the churches, seven churches. The church at Ephesus that was leaving its first love. The church at Smyrna, which was a suffering church. The church at Pergamos, false doctrine. The church at Thyatira, false living. What you believe affects the way you live. The church at Sardis had a name that it was alive, but it was dead. The church at Philadelphia, the church with a green light. I will give you an open door, nobody can shut it. That's the modern missionary movement from about 15, from about 1700 to 1950. And then last of all, the church at the end of the age, the end of the church age. That church is called the Laodicean church. The church was neither cold nor hot. And the Lord said, it makes me sick. I'm going to spew out of my mouth. In those two chapters, we have the whole study of the church age. The church age began when Jesus founded his church in Matthew 16. It closes with the rapture of the church. So we come to chapter 4. This is what Jesus said in chapter 119, write the things which shall be. And if you're keeping in your mind an outline of the book of Revelation, you'll write down chapter 4 through 22, the third section of Revelation. It's all future. It hasn't happened yet. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 have already happened. We are either in the Philadelphia or the Laodicean age. Many believe this is the Laodicean age where the chief characteristic of the church is lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. God says, you make me sick. You see, crowds do not make a church. You can have thousands gather. That doesn't make that a church. When the church has no standards and the church does not teach wrong from right and the church says everything's going fine, you can just mark it down, there's something radically wrong. The church that Jesus built was founded to declare the gospel and to declare what Jesus wanted the church to be. You're a holy generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people, Amen. zealous of good works. Amen. So we come to chapter 4. I hope you'll look at it in your Bible. After this, what's after what? After the church age. After chapters 2 and 3. After the church 
It's all over. And incidentally, the word ecclesia or church never appears from chapter 4 through the end of the book except at the very end. And there it's the church without spot or wrinkle caught up to be with the Lord. You see, the church is for a given period of time. We don't know how long it'll be. So far it's been nearly 2,000 years. It could close any moment. I'm not a setter of dates. I remember reading a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988. And the man was wrong. He had to write another book. 98 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1998. And he was wrong again. We do not know when he's coming. We do know he's coming. And chapter 4 introduces us to the coming of the Lord. He says, after this, after the church age, after Laodicea, after Philadelphia, after Sardis, after all these churches, after the church age, he says, look, I looked and behold. Now that word behold is a wonderful word. It means astonished. I saw something I could hardly believe. He said, a door was opened in heaven. Now John is still on the earth in this vision. He said, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And I heard a voice saying, come up hither and I will show you what is to happen in the days ahead. And John was thrilled. This, as I understand it, is the rapture of the church. The word rapture originally meant caught up, caught up. We use that term when we get all excited about something, we say we're enraptured. We're enraptured about this or that. Sometimes a young man is enraptured about the beauty of a young lady. And I guess sometimes a young lady is enraptured about the handsomeness of a young man. I don't know about that. I don't know how handsome men are. But that's the term we use. And it means caught up. It means all excited. Now, the word rapture is not used here. But when you study those words that define what we're looking forward to, you can't escape the word rapture, raptured. Now in the scriptures, in first, uh, second, first Timothy chapter four, he said concerning the dead who have died in Christ, I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that the Lord, the same Lord that you saw go into heaven shall so come in like manner, the angels said in Acts, he said, I would not that you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we also believe that those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be what? raptured, caught up, Amen. caught up.
to be with the Lord. Never to be separated from him again. We'll be with him forever. You think of that. Sometimes we come to church and we sing, this is like heaven to me. I've crossed over Jordan in Canaan's fair land and this is like heaven to me. Well, we've not experienced anything here that's exactly like heaven. We've just had some previews of it. We've had some rehearsals for it. But oh, how wonderful it's going to be. And so he says, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. I like the way those trumpets talk to us tonight. What was the name of that song you all played tonight? It is well with my soul. That's what we sang at the invitation this morning. Lloyd sings it sometimes as a testimony solo. And how beautiful it is. It is well. And when the trumpets talk to us, you know Handel wrote the Messiah in 24 days. And in it, that genius built into it a wonderful orchestra that had those trumpets sounding. The trumpet did sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And they sing all about it and go all over the scale singing about it. That's exciting. And this says, the voice I heard was like the voice of a trumpet talking to me. And the voice said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon at jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. I think that's as far as I'm going to get tonight, but let me describe that a little bit. <laughs> you think when he got there in heaven, first thing he saw was the throne. That's what we're going to see. When we get there, we're going to see the throne. Sometimes we say, well, I can hardly wait to see mother or daddy or brother or sister or little child, whoever. And that's going to be wonderful. That'll happen. The last time I looked upon the face of my mother was right here. That's sacred to me. I sat right down there and the last time I saw that beautiful face was here. I like to have funerals in churches. What a wonderful parting. The next time I'll see her face in glory. But I want to tell you, before I ever see that, I'm going to see the throne of God. And the Bible says when, when John looked at the throne, he, he thought for a little while he was going to see God. The rest of this chapter tells us he didn't see God. He saw the candlesticks. And then he saw, he heard a voice. And he saw all these wonderful colors. Emerald, Jasper, Sardis, all those wonderful colors. And he was so taken in, he could hardly describe what he saw. He looked for God, and do you know who he saw? He saw Jesus. You see, nobody's ever seen God and lived. We studied about that in Sunday school this morning. God took a whole chapter, chapter 19 of Exodus, to prepare the people for the giving of the law in chapter 20. And he laid down these rules and he, 
He had Moses going up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain four or five times. He caught him up there. He said, you go down and tell the people this. And he went down and told the people. And God said, you come back up here. I'm going to tell you some more things. You go down and tell the people. And it took a whole chapter. I think it must have taken months to do that. You don't climb Mount Sinai in just an hour or in two hours. Have you ever thought of the chapter? I hope you studied it this morning in Sunday school. That was some preparation for the law. The 18th of March, we're going to be studying the, 20, the Ten Commandments. And we're going to give a copy of the Ten Commandments, a beautiful copy to everybody that's present that day, the day our revival meeting begins. But when, God, when, when John looked at the, at the throne, he was looking to see God, and he saw Jesus. What does that say to us? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the only time you'll ever see God is in Jesus. I've heard people say, well, I'm going to live by the Ten Commandments, or I'm going to live by the Sermon on the Mount, or I'll tell you, I, I believe in God, but I don't know about this Jesus thing. They don't know anything about God. Nothing about God. You come to this chapter, who do you see? You see Jesus. The only way we'll ever see God is through Jesus. And I want to ask you tonight, have you seen him? Do you know him? Does he live in your heart? You can invite him in tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful word of God and all that God is saying to us in this glorious chapter. Help us, Father, as we continue to study it week after week. May the Holy Spirit make your presence real to us. And Lord, help us to love Jesus more than we've ever loved him before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Page 500. Page 500. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Listen to what that means. Jesus doesn't want to pass us by, but we have to invite him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. But he knocks. He's knocking from the outside. He wants to live inside of you. Now listen, some of you already know him. He's your Savior. Apparently the people in Laodicea knew Jesus, but they got so busy with other things, they left him out. He was standing on the outside of that church door knocking to get in. Is he knocking to get into your life tonight? What would it mean if Jesus really came in and lived inside of you? I want to tell you there are big, big, big differences, big changes. For one thing, the world will not be as attractive as it is now. You'll get weary with the world. Brother uh, Eric sang a while ago, I'm just a wayfaring stranger. That's what we are. Heaven is our home. Now, we need to work for him while we're here because there can be no more work in heaven. We need to go knock on people's doors and invite them to Jesus. We need to live a life that is consistent with the Christ-filled life. Now, if that means building a fence around certain areas of your life, do it. I would, if I were 
had any taste at all for liquor, I would be a fool to go in a saloon to get a Coke. So I build a fence around that. I don't even go in the places where they, restaurants where they serve drinks. I don't, I just don't do it. I urge you not to do it. Build a fence around some areas of your life so that you don't get near the place of temptation. We live in strange times. I, I, don't, I don't mean to keep on preaching, but I probably will for a minute or two. Do you know that I don't believe it's God's will for a young man to go to a young woman's apartment when her parents are not there? Or a young woman to go to a young man's house, house when his, his folks are not home? There's too much temptation. Build a fence around your life. You're a red-blooded American man or woman. Acknowledge that. You've got testings coming up. What are you gonna do about them? Just give in to them? Or are you gonna say no? Christ lives in my life, I'm gonna be different. I'm not gonna get swallowed up by the world's standards. I'm just not gonna do it. Do what God tells you to do. I could preach on and on. It's hard to just for me to just preach 10 minutes. But I'll tell you, there's so much in this book. Some night, I, I hope you, I'll announce ahead of time, I'm gonna preach three hours and those that wanna come can come, the rest of you go somewhere else. But there's so much here. Let me encourage you, put Christ on the throne of your life. He's the most important one in your life. When you pray, pray through the name of Jesus. When you talk to the Lord, talk through Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Now if God is speaking to your heart about some matter, do it. He may be calling somebody in this room tonight to preach the gospel. Will you do it? He may be calling somebody who's just had a fling in the world. He's saying, I want you closer to me. I want you to sing for me. I want you to work for me. I want you to serve for me. I want you to work for me. I want you to give your tithes for me. Would you be willing to say, Lord, you're my all in all. You're more important than anything in my life. I give myself to you. While we sing, pass me not, what we're saying is, Lord, don't just walk down the aisle to somebody else. Call on me. I want to respond to you. While we sing, will you do what God says?